For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It is a Monday edition of Birds 365 here on the Jacob Media new YouTube channel. Your Mac and Mac guys. I don't know about you, Johnny Mac, but this is going to be a tough show to get through. Not because <laughs> we still have months before the regular season gets underway for the Philadelphia Eagles, but the fact that the regular season and postseason and season in general ended last night for the Philadelphia 76ers getting beat. Man, I was just taken aback by that loss last night, and I didn't even sleep well last night. So, yeah, today might be a little bit of a chore to talk about the Eagles for two hours. I'm not sure I'm up for it. Are you? Can you carry us today if need be? Yeah, I can carry you. I'm over it. Uh, I'm, I'm over it quickly, Jody. On to the next one. On to the next page. You know, I do think it's interesting to correlate the Sixers with the Eagles. I think it tells you something, you know, I, I, we've talked to a lot of executives on the show. I've talked to a lot of executives over the years in both the NFL and NBA. One thing they always tell me is toughest thing to do is to evaluate your own team. I think you kind of saw that with the Sixers uh, and you kind of saw it with the Eagles coming off uh, post Super Bowl 52. So a lot of correlations. And then you have uh, the most obvious one, which would be, the derailing of Carson Wentz and Ben Simmons, uh, it's kind of amazing when you talk about players that talented, that high level. And all of a sudden, you know, the mental part of the game starts to creep in and it can affect anybody. It can affect anybody, Jody. Yeah, I uh, was on the air when the game started last night on my uh, network job, CBS Sports Radio, and uh, got cleared uh, I think about mid third quarter, somewhere thereabouts, my show ended, so I could just zero in on the game. I actually preferred being on the air because <laughs> watching yeah. and paying attention yeah. to it was much more bothersome and painful than only half watching it while attempting to do a show at the same time, which is not easy, but I do it all the time. Um, and I didn't, therefore, because I was on the air, I didn't get a chance to tweet as much as I usually do. I usually throw a couple of insights and uh, comments while the Sixers are playing if I'm not doing a show. Uh, and the only tweet that I put out during the show was the fact that I will never forget the play with which Ben Simmons got the ball on the baseline, got behind the defender from three feet away, helped defense coming in the person of Trey Young, all six foot one of them, Ben Simmons can absolutely positively slam the ball <laughs> home and he passes <clears throat> back out to Matthias Thibault, who's coming in for a contested attempt at a shot or a dunk. He's got a dunk. There's no one between him and the basket. And the only guy who's even close is little Trey Young. And he passes the ball back out. My God, that guy, you talk about uh, the mental aspect of the game. He is so lost at this stage. I don't know if he can come back. I don't know if he will come back. I don't know if he's coming back to Philadelphia or not. But, man, that guy just had no clue, uh, no heart, no ability to know what to do with the basketball in the middle of that game. 
That was just flat out sad. Yeah, it was sad in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, you talk about pass first. There's nothing wrong with uh, being pass first. A lot of times it can be good. But Ben Simmons is pass first, pass second, pass third, pass fourth, pass fifth. And the reason why is because he doesn't want to go to the free throw line and he doesn't want to uh, embarrass himself at the free throw line. And it's official, the worst free throw shooting performance in NBA playoff history. Uh, ben Simmons after that, uh, after this playoff run, so to speak. So, look, the guy's lost. The guy's done in this city. Even Joel Embiid said that was the turning point of this game. But I got to tell you, Jody, and this is one of those things, you know, I, I always say, and I've told you, the most visceral hate I've ever gotten on the Philadelphia South Jersey airwaves is pointing out the flaws of Ben Simmons. Now you have this, this sort of pendulum effect of the whole city turns on him. So now I'm going to go in the other direction. Um, you know, the guy is talented. Uh, obviously, he is, he is completely lost. He is ineffective offensively. He is not a star player. He is not an all-star player. Uh, he's none of that. He's a role player. And if you, you put the right roles around him, he could be a, an effective player, which is disappointing compared to what you thought he was going to be at the start of this. But I got to tell you, anybody who's surprised by this, you can go back to Boston when TJ McConnell was here. Brett Brown had to take the ball out of his hands because they exposed him offensively. When Jimmy Butler was here, it took the Sixers too long to realize – Hey, we got to run this offense through Jimmy Butler. And now they did it again, and they figure out way too late that this guy is completely ineffective. We're coddling him. But where I'll turn is there are a lot of issues with this team. And the big guy that nobody can criticize. We're yet, what what year are we in with Joel Embiid? We're still he's still gassed at the end of every game. He's still a turnover machine. Uh, the only place you can get more turnovers is, is at the bakery than Joel Embiid. And he does it in key situations. And by the way, Jody, if you go back to this series where they lost these ser this series, was I think it was game four. So they were up 2-1. They had the big lead. Yeah. And Joel Embiid goes 0-12 in the fourth quarter. So don't get me wrong. Ben Simmons was atrocious. He doesn't even shoot the ball. He shouldn't be on the floor unless you have timeouts and you're playing offense, defense. But there are a lot of questions about this team. And, and for a guy like Joel Embiid, people aren't even ready to have the conversation. It's sort of the same thing with Ben Simmons. They protect him. Now they turn on Ben Simmons. At some point, they're going to figure out this guy's got some serious flaws himself. That was the only uh, heartening thing for last night's loss to me. They lost as a team last night. Yeah, Ben Simmons is the easy whipping boy, and he does deserve every critique and criticism that he gets. And, yeah, I've been uh, on his case pretty good all year long. Um, you made the point of him being a role player. You can't be a role player when you're pulling down – a max money contract in a capped league. That's just not that. But that's what happen. he is. I'm not talking about the money. I agree with you. Well, you can't I'm not talking, talking about, about the money. The money is part of it. Well, he that's the part, contract. They gave him the contract. Cody, that's, part, that's part of the organizational failure. Look, I, I, I agree with you. The money matters when you're building a team. 
when you're out on the floor trying to win a game seven, the money doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm saying he's a role player. You have to admit to yourself, if you're the Sixers, we made a mistake. Yeah. He is a role player. We have to play different players if we want to get out of game seven. That's all I'm saying. That The, the offseason stuff, now you talk about the contract, he's not worth it, which is 100% correct. I'm not even arguing that. He's not a max player. He shouldn't make that money. He is a role player. You got to move him. Now you got to take pennies on the dollar. That's an organizational pair. But on the floor, it doesn't matter. And that's what uh, is going to be a big issue during this offseason. I think that uh, a great majority of the Sixer fan base is swung over to, we just need to move on here. But it's going to be it's hard amazing, to move on. because it? It's amazing how quickly... Couldn't couldn't criticize him. Now it's like they're burning his jersey. And well, and, and, so I'm going to go the opposite way. And, and they should. And if there's any Sixer fans that are clinging to, hey, he is still a uh, transformative player and we took him number one over. Forget <laughs> it. it. We've seen enough. Generational player. There's we got to get Jack McCaffrey on the show. I got to get Jack on the show because I always say, my most hated term in sports is generational player right. because people throw it around every year. Generation means once in a generation. What is he? Yeah, he's a generational poor free throw shooter. You can say that. You can't say he's a generational yeah. player. By the way, you can't say Joe Embiid's a generational player. I got news for you. He's not. Well, um, I'm I'm going to cut JoJo some slack because he didn't have a great series, and he's dealing with a torn meniscus. Uh, he was runner-up in the MVP of the NBA this I year. I don't care about regular season. I don't give two shits about regular season in the NBA, Jody. I don't care about stats. I don't care about anything. You can go back. I can go back on different platforms in South Jersey. I said this team is built for the regular season. Because nobody game plans on Wednesday in Oklahoma City, and they're going to win a lot of games. And once you get to the playoffs and people game plan and people can take you out of games, they are not built for the playoffs. I didn't think it would be this bad. Even I didn't think it would be this bad. I thought they'd lose in the Eastern Conference Finals. If Brooklyn was was healthy, I thought they had no chance. Turns out everything went their way. Brooklyn wasn't healthy. Milwaukee upsets. That's what hurts even more. Everything fell the Sixers' way, and they're still not built for the playoffs. They're they're not built for the playoffs. Don't no. care about the regular season. The regular season, the Atlanta Hawks went nuts to finish out the regular season, and they carried it over into the playoffs. The Sixers just didn't do that. Shame on them. Shame on the individual players. Shame on Doc Rivers. Uh, here, here's the thing where the rub's going to hit the road and get nasty here over the next couple of months. People are going to have to realize – what the NBA looks at Ben Simmons as because if a the Sixers, they do. I, and, and that's all you're going to get in exchange for him. And that's going to be tough because you got a somewhat max salary. Contract, unless a team yeah. has all this cap room and they're going to use it slash waste it on Ben Simmons. I don't know that that team even exists. So this whole no. off season is going to be about how they can trade Ben Simmons. And basically get nothing in return. It's it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. And all you have to do, Jody, is go back to the trade deadline. And people called me insane for saying, you pull the trigger on James Harden if you can get James Harden. I mean, you get Ben Simmons the hell out of here. At the trade deadline, people were laughing at me. To win in the modern NBA, 
you need a guard or a wing player. Could be either. You see KD with Brooklyn, obviously, able to do a lot of things, even though they lost in Game 7. He carried them there. Yeah, it wasn't because of him. Uh, yeah, exactly. You need somebody who can create their own offense. Watch the end of close games. Trey Young, what he's able to do, whether he's making shots or not, for his teammates to get them good looks versus the plotting nonsense the Sixers have to run on the offensive side because guess what? They're coddling a, a former number one overall pick. They don't want to upset him. So what do they do, Jody? They give him the ball. As soon as he crosses midcourt, he's got to give the ball up because he can't be fouled because he can't go to the free throw line and you're wasting – I don't know, eight to nine seconds of a shot clock, and then you're you're already in the muck, already in the muck, and you don't have anybody who can create their own offense. Yeah, and they, they've got major issues as far as that is concerned going forward. But first things first, they have to figure out if they can get anything for Ben Simmons, and I'm not sure they can. I came up with a list. And again, uh, Eagle fans, we'll get to the Eagles in just a second. Johnny and I just need to vent here as Philadelphia <laughs> sports guys for a second on the 76ers. I came up with a list of 50, 50 players in I'll the take NBA every one of them. That, that I would take <laughs> over Ben Simmons. One for one deals at well, this stage of their career. I, I haven't even seen the list. I take every one of them. Yeah, and I, I never had that high a number. But, yes, this playoff with his just horrendous free throw through shooting has pushed that number up and up and up and up and up. But uh, the Sixers are done. The season's over. And the season never ends if you're a real fan because now you have to figure what the hell do we – where do we go from here? We do the same thing with the Philadelphia Eagles. So here we sit, John McMullen, another day in paradise – with Zach Ertz still the number one tight end on the Philadelphia Eagles? I know. Yeah, Dallas Goddard is going to be the number one tight end. Blah, 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 blah. He was the number one tight end this past year. Well, yes, he was because Zach Ertz was hurt. Uh, and I know Goddard got hurt too. And a fallout season for Goddard between he and Carson Wentz. Their love affair didn't last this season. Just another brick in the wall as to why Carson Wentz is gone from this town. But we all thought for sure, all right, well, they, they're going to part ways. They're, Zach Ertz is going to become an ex-Eagle. Another day that Zach Ertz is still property of the Philadelphia Eagles. I guess that I will just beat my head against the brick wall that we have here on a day-in, day-out basis until we get to camp. Because there's got to be a leverage point <laughs> at some point where the Eagles say, we just need to move on. Much like I was just talking about, people are going to be shocked at how little the 76ers can get in return for Ben Simmons. It seems like Howie Roseman has this inordinate uh, belief that the Eagles are going to get a, a marginal draft pick in exchange for Zach Ertz. I think now that we've gone this far, you can basically say the Eagles aren't going to get any draft pick. The best they're going to get is a conditional draft pick. Why, why is Zach Ertz still here? Um, I, because how he is playing chicken and it's going to be interesting because you talked about leverage points. Well, July 27th is a leverage point. If the Eagles don't want him here, if the Eagles don't want him being a distraction in the building, that's a leverage point. On the other hand, if Howie Roseman doesn't care, and a lot of people have speculated that, you know, he believes, and, and I believe, by the way, that Zach is a, a professional he'll, and he'll show up and do his job if he has to show up, even if he doesn't want to show up, and he certainly doesn't want to show up. 
if you believe that, you can keep the chicken going a little bit, the game of chicken going a little bit longer and hope for the injury in, in the preseason and where a team is perhaps desperate and you get a little bit more. A lot of people have talked about the Sam Bradford template. Look, that's a lottery ticket, Jody. That doesn't happen every year. You know, people don't realize, you know, Minnesota not only had to have their quarterback go down 11 days before the start of the regular season, they had a 33- or 34-year-old backup at the time and Sean Hill that wasn't relevant. Uh, they considered themselves probably wrongly as a Super Bowl contender, so you have that part of it. They didn't want to give up on the season. They didn't just want to play a young quarterback. So you had this perfect storm of things coming together. Plus, it's the quarterback position. It's so much more valuable than every other position, never mind tight end. Uh, in other words, what I'm trying to say, I don't think it's going to happen. So I do think Howie's kind of beating himself on, on, on his head on the wall at this point. And ironically, you know, I started this show talking about the toughest thing to do in sports for executives is to evaluate their own team, their own players. I think Howie's probably right. He should move on from Zach Ertz. Um, you know, the old branch, Ricky, saying better to give up on a, a player a year early than a year late. All of that, I think he's right. But he's but he's being too headstrong about what he's going to get back in return. You know, maybe it's because of Carson Wentz. Maybe it's because of the $34 million in dead money. Maybe Jeffrey Lurie's in his ear and saying, I did it for this. I don't want to do it again. I don't want to give up. I don't want to get nothing. Who knows? All these things can be in the play. The key is where do the Eagles see that linchpin of leverage? Do they want him showing up on July 27th? Do they not want him showing up? Then it could go deep into August, Jody. Here's the reason why they basically have to, uh, if they can get a conditional seventh-round pick, if that's what you're holding out hope for, a conditional seventh, okay, oh, fine. They want more than that. They well, well, they but, could have had they could have had a conditional fifth round pick from the Chargers. Uh, they want more, so that to me is they want more than that. And I agree that that's probably the best offer they would have gotten, and they should have taken it at the time. But they want more. Do you think that picks off the table now? Um. I'd have to look at the Chargers. I know they signed a tight end. I'm not sure what they've done at the position since. Um, so I would have to look at what they've done. But uh, I think they could still get in that range if they were willing to accept it. Maybe Buffalo, uh, what maybe Jacksonville would offer a conditional five. Um, I don't think they would get much more than that. See, here's why, and, and I know your sources are good, but I don't even know if I believe your sources or any sources anymore. I think it all has to do with, but will Zach redo his contract with his new team? And I don't know that he's even willing to talk to teams. I know they gave him and his uh, yeah, agent. They, yeah, his agent uh, has been talking to teams for a long time. Right. Um, yeah, they'd be willing to, to redo a deal. I don't think that's the problem at all. I'll say that, Jody. He wants out of here, and he wants out of here badly. Well, so, it's, yeah. It's I the think, willingness to talk about it, and then if the other team that's giving something up says, yeah, oh, by the way, here's the kind of contract we're looking at, and Ertz and his agent look, how bad are you talking? 
all, then that doesn't really do you any good. Just the uh, the willingness to talk is one thing. To actually be able to get a deal done and know that your salary is coming down from where it sits right now, uh, as is, is another. So I, I think it's going to be real difficult for the Eagles to actually make a trade. I think the only way it is going to get done is if they release him. And here's my biggest worry. Are the Eagles not signing a cornerback number two? Uh, two things you can count on Birch 365 every single day, basically since this show started at the end of the season is, why is Zach Ertz still here? And when are the Eagles going to get themselves a real live, legitimate cover two cornerback? Yeah, cover two cornerback. And, right. Yeah. Those are the two things that we have to talk about basically every single day. And they're tied at the hip as far as I'm yeah. concerned because the Eagles are in the cap situation they're in. There are some guys out there who are probably holding out, believe their worth is more than the open market has told it it is to this point. And the Eagles aren't going to up their number because they only have so much cap flexibility left. When they move on from Zach Ertz, they will get some cap flexibility. They will benefit from it. They'll have dead cap money on their contract, but they won't have to pay Zach Ertz his money. So they will actually save some money under the cap and that could be given to a cor- an, a legit cornerback, too. But we sit here another day with Zach Ertz still on the Eagles. Trey McKitty, Jody. That's who the Chargers drafted. Who, what, where? Exactly. What did you say? Trey McKitty as their third-round pick at tight end. So who knows where. The- I don't think that's the answer, but who knows. And we got to get to my buddy Scott Grayson. So we got to get the uh, break. Scott Grayson from Fox 29. After the break, Jody. And... You know, Scott is going to have – Scott's been covering this team for a long time, even before he got to Fox 29. So uh, he'll have some thoughts on tight end and cornerback too. He is John McMullen. I am Jody McDonald. We are Mac and Mac on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say... But as I always say... It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest... Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. 
Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Mac and Mac guys here on Birds 365. We appreciate you tuning in. We'll try and not kill ourselves during the show because of last night's Sixers <laughs> loss. Uh, we did uh, try and get through it, and we will all day long. We'll do so with a little LP. Scott Grayson, Fox 29 sports reporter, hops aboard with us. Scott, how badly did Sixers ruin your father's day? Yeah, you know, I was waiting for that all night long, right? And then it finally comes. I got my kids actually staying up late to watch it with me. And, uh, yeah, it was it was d- disappointing. And that's why it's great you guys are, are, are continuing. You know, obviously you're talking birds. Uh, today to me is the first full day we're all around here laser focused on the Eagles because the Phillies are having another ho-hum. <laughs> it's, it's all on the Eagles now. That's right. They've raised everybody's spirits. So always is, Scott. I think yeah. there were – and I don't know because I wasn't at the game. Maybe you know from some of your Fox 29 compatriots. Was there an Eagles chant at that game? I, I, I saw I saw somebody tweet, and I forget who. They yeah, actually put an Eagles chant in Game Seven. I, I believe I, I saw that same thing. I I, I agree with you. I wouldn't surprise me at all from this fan base. Um, uh, they're passionate. They uh, you guys know that. And uh, the moment that this team started to let them down last night, and they could feel it. I mean, we all saw it, right? With about a minute, yeah. few minutes to go, you just felt like it was gone. And uh, the fans aren't idiots, obviously. And wouldn't surprise me if that in fact did happen because. Uh, you know these fans, and I think that's they were letting the Sixers know you, you let us down. But let's follow in your line of thinking here. That yeah, the Phillies—they're presently in second place. They're below five hundred, but they're in second place. <laughs> uh, but the Mets look better, and we still—at least I believe—they're teams that are behind them in the division that are more talented than they are. So don't know if it's going to lead to a great second half. We're not even at the halfway point, but the Phillies are what they are, which. Right now is good isn't good enough. That means you're right. Turning the attention to the Eagles. How badly is that going to sting when this team gets out of the game? Who was it we had on Johnny Mack who Bob said Groats. Bob Groats. Well, if they don't win that opener, they could be zero and eight. Oh my God! Go ahead, just stick the the pencil right in my ear, Bob Groats. Thank you very much. He's. I hope he's woefully wrong, but it's not completely outrageous what he said. This team right now isn't constructed to win double-digit games. They're they're not going to come out and contend for a Super Bowl, even though we're only three-plus years away from being a Super Bowl champion. How deflating is that going to be 
if the Eagles are what they are, if Jalen Hurts isn't as good as the flashes he showed last year, what kind of doldrums is Philadelphia going to be in? Well, yeah, let me start by saying I, I was laughing uh, before the break, Jody, because you are exactly where I am. I need to see who that second corner is, is ultimately going to be. It better not be what they have right now. And Michael Jaquette, you baby. You're not yeah. a big Michael Jaquette fan? I, I don't mind him. I'd take him any day, sure. Uh, I mean – I look at uh, I look at uh, I look at this team and I and the, the Zach Ertz thing you're right is holding them up. They can't move forward until they figure that out. Um, and, and you look at at this Jalen Hurts thing and, and I'll tell you right now I think I think for me it's all about what expectations. Where's the bar for this season? You're right. It's not Super Bowl. Um, I mean, if everything broke just right, maybe they could get into the playoffs. But to me, I need to see is Jalen Hurts the guy. You're going to learn that this year. You have the ability through – you have assets to be able to rectify that if he's not the guy for next year. Um, you also need to know what's this coaching staff like? What's this head coach going to be? For me, it's all about finding those things out to decide how far away this franchise is or perhaps even how close it could be um, next year or the year after to get back to where they want to be. And the pieces aren't here. You're right. They're not even close. But I will say this. I have seen a lot more maturity – um, out of Jalen Hurts this offseason than I think I ever saw from one from Carson Wentz. He is trying to be the guy for this locker room. He is trying to do all the right things in front of his teammates and in front of the cameras, quite frankly, to show that he is the guy. So I I'm glad to see him get the opportunity. I'm curious to see what it looks like. I want to see how this coaching staff tries to set him up for success and not failure. Um, and all those things are going to be intriguing to me starting right away, like you said, in week one. And if they don't win week one, you know, this fan base isn't patient. We all know that. And you're right. The, the negative uh, energy is going to start to build exponentially with every loss that they come out of the gate with. All right, Scott, I'm going to put myself in an uncomfortable position because I'm going to be the optimistic guy here. Um, we just saw the Hawks versus the Sixers. Ben Simmons is supposed to be the star, but the real star <laughs> – was Trey Young in that series. Now, now he had been, obviously, was a great scorer before then, but it, this is his, pretty much his coming out party. Um, on the other hand, Carson Wentz was supposed to be the star here. He wasn't. Who's to say Jalen Hurts can't turn into Trey Young, and all of a sudden we have a star at the quarterback position? Yeah, and my counter to that would be, uh, I love your optimism. I am all for it. I don't believe However, it. how many times, we can all count on one hand, maybe how many times something like that has really panned out yeah. uh, in the world of professional sports. But it, that's why we love it, because it can. It's it's that, that unknown that you wait to see. And there are some intangibles with Jalen that you see, that you think, boy, this guy, you know, I think could potentially yeah. – have that star quality about him. You know, look, he's he's been through as much adversity as any other potential college athlete that came in here. Having to go through Alabama, Oklahoma, Oklahoma and being successful in all those places, um, and that's not easy. And then to come in here, get an opportunity, and, you know, look, if anybody expected him to get them to the playoffs last season, you were fooling yourself. But to come out and just show flashes after not really having a training camp, after not really having many reps during the season until it was time to get in there and then have the one reps, I, I mean – I think the guy can weather the storm. I think he is built to be able to weather playing here at the quarterback position in this city. Uh, he seems mentally able to handle it. And we can talk about plenty of athletes. You could do a show on athletes who couldn't handle playing in this city. Yeah, um, real quick, so, let me know, jump in there, Scott, uh, because I think it's interesting 
normally we're worried about athletes that we don't know if they have it mentally, maybe, or or some kind of intangible, but we know they're talented enough. Yeah. With Jalen Hurts, it seems, yeah, with Jalen Hurts, it seems to be the obvious, the, the opposite, excuse me. We know he has the intangibles, but we don't know if he has that top-tier talent. Can he right. throw the football? Can he be accurate? Can he can he get it downfield? Can he do it consistently? It's kind of weird with a young player. You know the intangibles are there, but we don't know if the skill set's there. And that's that to me, it goes back to where you set the bar for this season. I think, you know, you have to you have to answer that question in the six of seventeen games now this season that you're gonna get. To figure out, does he have the ability? And and look, you can't just say in week one he does or doesn't. You have to take week one. You're going to put a snapshot next to it, week four, week eight, you know, every quarter post. Let's see how he does compared to where he was. Are we seeing that growth? How are we seeing the guys respond around him? Are they buying into him? How's this offensive line doing? Because if this offensive line stays healthy, which we say every year, and they never do, um, then he's got protection. This talent, They're talented. They're a talented group. Uh, and he's got protection. He's got the ability. Does he look to evade the pocket right away? Or does he buy time like a Russell Wilson with his eyes downfield? Those kind of things can really break the back of a defense versus the guy who gets out of the pocket and just runs. So, which he did a little bit of last year. But I think we're going to learn a lot about him. And that, to me, again, sets up, you know, a year from now where we're going, look, like in 2017, two years removed from kind of an implosion they're really right back there, and they're a group, or uh, we're not even close still. And that that would be very disappointing. We all like the Eagle offensive line, if healthy. It's one of yeah. the strengths of the team, as a matter of fact, might be the mm -hmm. strength of the team, if they're all healthy. Big if, 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 if. I'll continue to say if. But we're all crossing our fingers and believing that's going to be the case. What if they're showing that not only are they healthy, Man, can this team run block? Man, can they move the, the the pile? Man, can they create holes? But the owner kind of likes passing, and he lives for passing, and he wants to see the Eagles be the most talented passing team in the National Football League. And the stories this year broken about him uh, sitting in meetings with Doug Peterson after wins and going, yeah, but we didn't pass the ball quite enough. What does Nick Sirianni do if his best choices are let's run it down other teams throats and they're having success with it on the field yet there's an all-important little birdie on his shoulder going throw the ball more throw the ball more throw the ball more how is that going to shake out Scott that would be fascinating to watch Jody because you're absolutely right and and you got to wonder you know we all are creatures of, of habits we all learn from mistakes will Laurie if experience after experiencing what last season was as awful as it was will if there is success happening on the ground, will he sit back and say, but I kind of like winning right now. And you're right. I think this team is built. Um, and I think Nick's, and we all have heard the stories. Will Nick Sirianni be more of a running or passing coach? Look, Miles Sanders, I've been screaming this. John, you know this too. Um, give him 20 touches a game, at least, at least. And now you've got some other backs there as well who can handle roles. And to me, they're building themselves to be more of a, let's just say, maybe they pass the ball out of the backfield. Um, but to me, those are as good of a run. If it's a short pass, you get the guy out in space, you try to do things on the perimeter. They have the ability to do those kind of things with the backs they have right now. So to me, it almost seems like they're trying to build that to be more the strength. 
and attack teams from there to take some of the pressure off Jalen to go downfield. Because, um, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see Devontae Smith, but I don't know what I got in this receiving core. And when you come out in week one and you talk about, like you said, about the importance of not losing that game and potentially setting up a losing streak to start the season, are you really coming out firing with that receiving core right now? That's what you're going to try to do against an opponent? Or are you trying to control the clock a little bit? Let your offensive line, like you talked about, Jody. I mean, these guys are built to to run block, to, to you know, to get you those three, four yards per play, cloud of dust, whatever it takes. And then if you give it enough times, you, we all know, Miles Sanders can break one. And if he does, he has the speed to be able to go the distance. I, I just want to say, I, I really, that's what I want to see, Jody, quite frankly, what you talked about. And you're right. How does Jeffrey Lurie handle that? Can he stay out of it? Can he let success build from that? Um, those mm. are going to be questions. We won't know the answer to definitively, but could be fascinating to try to keep an eye on. Yeah, I think that I agree with you, Scott. That makes the most sense. And I never say run first in the modern NFL. I think we talk more about balance because you have to throw the ball to be successful. That part, Jeffrey Lurie is correct about. But when you, when you mentioned scaling back and understanding the strength of your team, which is not only Miles Sanders running the ball, but Jalen Hurts running the ball versus what you have at the receiver position, which is unproven, even though we all think Devontae Smith is going to be a very good player. Um, but we have this owner. And we have this guy going in after upsetting Green Bay and saying, Doug, why didn't you throw the ball more? Jim Schwartz, a lot of people don't realize this. They, they, they think Jim was upset after the Super Bowl because his defense gave up 500-whatever yards. No, he was upset because he just won the Super Bowl. The owner said, why did you give up 500 yards? You not only have to win, you have to win correctly. And I don't see that changing with Jeffrey Lurie. No, I mean, that's kind of the follow-up. You're right, John, to everything I just said. Uh, history does not say that he will adjust his philosophy in any way based on any result from the year before, positive or negative. Uh, so, and we're all learning, and I think we're all growing more and more frustrated that for a long time we thought, and we laughed, right, at Dallas. Yeah. Look at Jerry Jones. Look what he's doing down there. Isn't it funny? Oh, and he'd get involved and make a completely bonehead move, and we all laugh about it here. Well, I think what we're learning is we have somebody who's a little more like that than we thought. And now we're having to kind of eat a little bit of humble pie as we watch all this unfold. And, you know, why do they keep going out and getting guys who are, who are green at the head coaching position? Because it's easy to tell that guy what you want done. Uh, you're, you know, I'm giving you this opportunity. You, you, it's not that there's any clout or history there that you can draw on to say, look, I, I know what I'm doing here. Look at my mm -hmm. record. I'm doing it this way. No. Uh, you know, Lori is is pulling the strings here, and, and we all have to accept that. Um, and you just hope, though, that as Nick Sirianni lets his un offense unfold. And look, I think there's an argument to be made that you could tell Lori, I want to get to that one day, but my team right now is not constructed for me to go downfield all the time. So I got to pick my spots, set it up through the run, and I will take my shots. You got me, Devontae Smith. Okay. We got to test him out. We got to see what he can do downfield. But wouldn't it be better if I could set him up for success because they have to play the run and then we take a shot? I'll play a little devil's advocate here, and I don't know if it's accurate, but uh, just optimistically, the owner was the one who said we're going through a transitional period, right? 
Wasn't mm-hmm. anybody else. Wasn't Howie Roseman. Wasn't Nick Sirianni after he got the job. No, it was the owner who said when he decided to move away from Doug Peterson, this is going to be a transitional period. Well, when you're in a transitional period, that means you got to figure some stuff out. You're taking a step backwards to take two forward. And if that's the case, uh, are you really going to tell Nick Sirianni exactly how many passes you show? Game in, game out. Don't you have to give him the chance to transition a little bit to prove that he is uh, the guy to take this organization forward? Am I too optimistic here? Glass half full, Scott? No, I I, I think you're right. I, I think you've got to be able – if you're right, if you're going to call it a transitional year <laughs> – any manager, any boss, right? I mean, I'm, I haven't been in the business world. I've been in this business like you guys have. But from what I hear, you know, when you hire somebody to run a department or a portion of your business, you hire them to do a job and you sit back and you watch them and you see what you like, you see what you don't like, and then you start throwing your two cents in. I think you've got to give, and I hope Jeffrey does this according to, you know, like you said, Jody, what he said sit back, give him the entire year, watch. He's likely going to make in-game mistakes. Doug did too. Well, Doug probably did all the way through. There were times we all scratched our head at times. What's he doing? But look, it worked for him. He won a Super Bowl because of how aggressive he was. Um, let Nick have the season. If it is a transition year in your mind, Jeffrey, then sit back, let him have the season without you hovering over him to see who he is, what he is, what his philosophy is, how does his staff operate, what does he get out of these guys. Everybody, you know, he's a high energy. We all laugh, right, and playing rock, paper, scissors to figure out the competitiveness of these guys. I love that he's trying to find a way in this COVID era to learn something about these guys and to hop on a Zoom like we are right now or something like that and say, oh, how you doing? What are you doing this offseason? What kind of workouts you doing? Um, There's things I like that Nick's doing, and let's sit back and see how it plays out. Because if Jeffrey really is taking it as a transition year, then you wait to tell him what you liked and didn't like at the end of the season. When you have really, I mean, isn't it right? You want facts to be able to go to a guy with like, look, you called this many time timeouts in the two minute warning, two minute drill. Like, let's break that down a little bit. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you're right, Jody. You got to let the guy show what he's got. You hired him here. We're all curious to see what he's got. We don't need feeling like he's got his hand held on the sideline or an ear, you know, in his headset somebody from above telling him what he needs to do in game in game coming from the owner's booth. Yeah. Uh, I, I hear you, Scott. I'm not I'm, optimistic. John. No, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not optimistic. What I will say is this, Scott, I, I mean, we were, we were out in Minneapolis on a way too cold winter's night <laughs> uh, when the Eagles won Super Bowl 52. Now, less than three years after that, this guy fired his head coach who won him that Super Bowl. So I, I don't know if it and a new name in the coach's chair is going to spark immense change coming off that type of success. So one, that's my concern. But here's my biggest concern, Scott, and I want to run this by you. Jody just talked about Jeffrey Lurie said it's a transition. This team does this every year. It's now an annual tra- uh, uh, tradition. Howie Roseman says we got to get younger. We got to get cost effective. We got to rebuild this thing now. We're past that Super Bowl window. Then they go on and the offseason continues and continues and they start saying to themselves, well, we're in a bad division. Maybe we can compete. Let's bring in the Ryan Kerrigan. We'll see who the cornerback's going to be. Let's call about Julio Jones. Let's see about Deshaun Watson if Allegate. All the 
every time they'd go down the same wormhole. So I think to myself, well, Shepard Lurie said transition in January. That doesn't mean anything in June. You're absolutely right. They all start drinking the Kool-Aid every year, and they're not necessarily wrong looking around the division. Clearly, we saw it last year play out. I don't think it's going to be that bad this year. Uh, therefore, you know, you're not going to stick in as long as you did with losing games the way that they did. But you're right, John. As the season gets closer, you know, every fan does it, right? You, look, yeah. oh, you think all the things that could break your way, and you go, hey, this could be our year. But they can't do that. They're in the trenches with this whole thing, and they have to look at it from a two, three, four, five-year approach as how you're trying to build towards being a, a repetitive winner like they were back during Andy Reid's days. Even, you know, Doug had success getting to the playoffs. But um, you're right. They cannot uh, look at this and start buying in and believing they have every opportunity to win this thing, particularly because, and here we go circling back, you still don't have anybody on the other side of Darius Slut. So I don't care, no matter how good Darius Slay is going to be, and they don't throw at him, you don't have anybody over there that's going to keep Aaron Rodgers from picking him apart downfield every bit like they did the first time um, that they played them last season, or anybody else that you're going to think. Dak Prescott's going to air it out down the field. As dumb as the Cowboys can be, they can figure that out. Um, <laughs> and, and so I think you've got to solve that before you can start getting optimistic. And I, I want to believe they have a plan there. And, Jody, I believe you're probably right that it's tied to when they can finally free up the money from Zach Ertz to be able to make that move. But with every passing day that goes by, doesn't it feel like that window of opportunity to get this guy is, is, is slowly closing? Right. And, and a couple of not- veteran cornerbacks have coming off the market. But uh, Mr. Nelson's still sitting there, the most – uh, probably the most talked about player who's never played for the Philadelphia Eagles here in Philadelphia because everybody's got to bring his name up on a day-in, day-out basis. Um, I, I, I do want to get your thoughts on this because uh, I haven't heard them. Again, dealing with fans, and we do here on Birds 365 and how people look at things, it always amazes me that uh, people just take what someone else does somewhere else and then immediately say, well, what happened here in Philadelphia? The guy I'm referring to is Carson Wentz. They decided to move off him this year, traded him to his buddy, Frank Reich. Uh, we'll find out what kind of season he has for the Colts after the god-awful season he had here. I thought they made the right move and I had to move on. But people will watch what Carson Wentz does and say, the old what if. What if we had kept Carson Wentz? With what Carson Wentz does in Indianapolis, doesn't guarantee he would have done here in Philadelphia. But you've got to draw your conclusions along some line. What kind of year do you think Carson Wentz is going to have in Indianapolis? And will we be going, what if, what if, what if, all season long here in Philly? It's Philly. We will naturally be going, what if, what if, what if. But, yes, you know, I love the conversation with that and the topic, Jody, because you're right. We will. Every game you watch, right, you're going to be watching that lower ticker. And you're going to see (laughs) the stat line for Carson. And you're going to see the score. Look, I think it was a win-win for both. Uh, I can't believe, number one, that both sides let it deteriorate, that relationship, to what it became. Um, Really childish on both parts. I thought Carson handled it poorly. I thought the Eagles handled it, you know, poorly as well. Uh, It had to happen. Um, And you cannot draw conclusions based on what he does there with Frank Reich and say, well, that's what he would have done here. There's no way. He's got a clean slate in a a new city that's not going to be on him anything like Philadelphia was. This is a perfect fit in my mind for Carson. I would not be surprised if he comes out 
and looks more, not not exactly like 2017 Carson, but more like it. Um, I think Frank's going to have a good offense in place for him. He's got good pieces around him. But you're right. We're going to look there and wonder what if. I don't think that's healthy <laughs> for anybody out there to do. We got to worry about yeah. what we got here now with Jalen. And um, but you're right. It's just going to throughout the rest of his career, you're going to see Carson any success, any failure, and you're going to wonder what if they would have kept him. What if all that happened last season never happened? Uh, but Carson, look, Carson. You know, I didn't like to call him injury prone. I thought he got hurt through playing the game aggressively. Usually. Um, I like the fact that he was a gamer. He stayed in there with a torn ACL and threw a touchdown in L.A. Um, and I think there's things you have to stop, and, and you've got to at least appreciate that he did here. Uh, but that being said, you don't want him to fail this year if you're an Eagles fan. Because no. if he doesn't reach a certain uh, threshold on on plays, uh, you don't want him to get hurt here either. Then you don't get a first-round pick uh, out of this deal. And at this point, if you're the Eagles, you're already counting on three first-round picks next year. Uh, wouldn't it sting if it didn't get to be that because Carson got hurt or he stunk as badly as he did here uh, and Frank had to make a move because he's probably the guy who advocated getting him there. I, I mean, who knows how that would play out. Bottom line, um, I, I think Carson needed the change. The Eagles needed to make the change. I agree with you, Jody. It had to happen. But uh, as I look back on it, the thing that soured me the most is how these were all adults and they all – on both sides, acted like children throughout the whole thing. Scott, last one from me, and thanks for joining the show. Scott, watch Scott on Fox 29, does a phenomenal job. Props and locks, even with our boy Aton Chander as well. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do want to talk about Nick Sirianni from this perspective. You talked about him a little bit, but he just turned 40 uh, early June 15th, earlier this month. My biggest concern, I don't care about the competitive stuff, the rock, papers, and scissors, the energy, the three-point shots, although I'd like him to beat somebody at something. It's <laughs> yeah. great to be competitive, but win something. Let's put Number, him up against Ben Simmons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm in a contest. I'm in, I'll play. He can yeah, right. that. Um, the lack of experience on this coaching staff. Jeff Stoutland's back. Uh, Jamal Stevenson has some experience as the assistant head coach. But you look at the template of young coaches. Even here, Doug wasn't that young, but a first-time coach. They gave him Jim Schwartz. Right. Sean McVay had Wade Phillips. Matt Nagy had Vic Fangio. Matt LaFleur had Mike Patton. On and on and on. Nick Sirianni's got Kevin Petullo, Jonathan Gannon. Who are these guys, Scott? That's what we all have to find out, John. You're right. And that was as soon as the Nick Sirianni hire happened, my, you know, after we all went through, hey, who's this guy? Where's he coming from? What's his background? The next thought was, okay, what are his assistants going to look like? Because I went to the same place thinking, okay, they're going to pair him up with somebody who's been here before uh, on the defensive side. Um, and obviously that didn't happen. So I don't know. Again, you look at, we're all creatures of habit. You found success and won a Super Bowl by following that recipe. So were you saying that you couldn't find that guy or was Sirianni insisting that he got to pick his staff? I can't imagine that was necessarily the case. But you have unproven, untested guys all over the place. You're right, John. Look, sometimes that can really work out. Sometimes it can crash and burn badly. And we're going to find out how it works out. 
I, I can't say either way whether I'm optimistic or pessimistic about it. Um, they definitely have introduced new personalities from the coaching staff to these players. The question is, particularly with the veterans, and this is the thing I guess we're all going to be watching, right? Does it seem like they bought in? Because if the veterans have bought in, then you get the locker room to buy in, at least to go into the season. And if you're any of those coaches, I think that's what you want. If you can at least get them to buy in going into week one, then you're at least running your stuff with them fully behind you. Uh, if we start to see or you're watching, you're listening to those little cracks in the foundation that, you know, Elaine Johnson or Jason Kelsey, when they're talking to Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, um, you know, when you hear them talk, are you hearing buying in or are you hearing a guy who's mostly just spitting out cliche after cliche and, uh, yeah, we're going to take this one week at a time. Uh, that's what I want to see and find out to tell me whether or not these guys are any good because they'll know in these meetings um, as they go through game planning and they go through camp. I and mean, we're not going to know right now, but we'll know by the time we get to week one, I think, whether these guys believe that these assistants uh, deserve to be where they are at this point and, and whether, quite frankly, Nick deserves to be where he is. All right, Scott, uh, I know I'm sounding like um, Mr. Glass half empty here today. It's because I hung out with Bob Groats, who said the Eagles could <laughs> actually start the season 0-9. Um, and I don't believe that. John and I are both on the record that we have the Eagles as an 8-9 football team this year. We, like everybody else, when the schedule came out, went win-loss, win-loss. And we both came out at 8-9. Uh, I hope that is the case. That's actually a little optimistic because I'm doing Birds 365 here. So maybe I uh, added a win here or that. But uh, I do believe that. What if I'm wrong? What if Bob Groats is right? We just finished up the end of a very disappointing Sixer season where they had two fan incidents, one dumping popcorn on Russell Westbrook of the Wizards. And uh, last night, uh, some idiot throwing a uh, water bottle on the court right. while time was still on the clock for the game. And my guy, Matt Court, got to love him, uh, gets immediately on the uh, bullhorn and says, you will be immediately ejected. The season's over. They're <laughs> done. It, it, you're going to go out and shoot yourself in a parking lot. And no, well, what is threatening that they're going to be thrown out going to do? But Matt had to do his job, and he did it well. What if the Eagles get off to this bad start? And we're back to packed stadiums. And Lincoln Financial Field is all green. And the green's not good. The green is ugly. The Eagles are one in five. How is this town, this fan base going to handle it after a Sixers disappointment, after a Philly's not saving our bacon, and the Eagles get out to a god-awful start. How's that going to play in Philly? Boy, I, I'll tell you what, I haven't even really considered that, but hearing you talk, Jody, and painting the picture, you can, I mean, you can almost see, you can almost see it happening. And, uh, man, you talk about a train coming off the tracks. you got a lot of young people in positions that have never, while Jalen Hurts has dealt with adversity, uh, even as bad as last season was, he didn't have to listen to those boos. Uh, didn't have to hear those coming down after the first offensive possession. Uh, and we all know that will happen if you go three and out for the fourth game in a row. Um, yeah, it, it, it could get ugly real quick. And, and, and you know, you see all over the country, all these fans, we were all kept away from these stadiums for over a year. It's as if somebody has, you know, introduced rabies to everybody and these fans are <laughs> acting like idiots everywhere. Um, look, I'm all for showing your displeasure. I think we all agree. Booing is great. Uh, let everybody know. And here's the thing. If it does go that bad, Jody, and, and I know we always say it's don't go to the games. You want to send the biggest message to the owner, don't go to the yeah. game. 
Don't buy the merchandise. Right. Don't buy, don't buy stuff. That, By all means, right. turn it on TV. Yell at your TV yeah. all you want. Laugh at the at the bad if it gets that bad. Um, and then you just look at it from from like our perspective. We would start breaking. Well, why are they one in five? Why are they one in six? What seems to be the problem? How can they fix it? Um, but I think. You know, and you guys are here to do it, uh, you know, and, and, and I'm here to try to give my two cents as well. I think eight and nine is not bad. I feel like this will be a 500 team. They're going to come out and play great some games. They're not going to play great others. Opponents don't know how to game plan for these guys because these coaches haven't been out there. There is no history on them. So in a way, you have a bit of an advantage in the early games. Uh, well, they don't know exactly what kind of offense you're going to run, how you're going to try to work, what kind of defense you're going to do. Well, no, Schwartz didn't blitz with these guys very much. Will this next guy be a polar opposite, or will he be somewhere in the middle? Uh, who's yeah. going to be playing the second corner? So all these things we have to answer. And and I, you know, I'll throw my two cents in there. I agree with you guys. I think we are looking at something close to a five hundred team. Uh, it might be seven and ten, eight and nine. Uh, so there's going to be goods. There's going to be bads. But Jody, you're right. If boy, I mean, it in a way would be a little comical to see how these fans lose their marbles. You're right. We just had the Sixers give you a huge disappointment. Yeah. But you know who's getting revenge on Atlanta, Scott? Week one, yeah. the Philadelphia yeah. Eagles. That's yep. right. There be... you go. We got we, go. we owe Atlanta one. Yeah. And I think I heard Scott's phone ring with a, a message from his program director going, good job. Just remember, if they're not going to the game, they can watch the Eagles on Fox <laughs> 29. Yeah. Week yeah. in and week out, watch them on Fox 29. You got that right. Scotty, great stuff. Thanks for coming on with us today. We'll certainly be getting you back up again sometime soon. Uh, sorry to the Sixers ruined your father's day. Nah. Thanks for hopping on board with us on the Monday thereafter. No, nah, I appreciate Scott. you guys. Good to talk to you. Scott Grayson from Fox 29 here with us on Birds 365. All right, Mac and Mac, guys, we've got, still got an hour left to roll today. Uh, I do want to ask my partner about an FU player. Ooh. We'll explain when Trey we get Young? back. Here I am. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. 
IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You've got your Mac and Mac guys here on Birds 365 on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. <laughs> Thanks for uh, punching us up here, Eagles fans, and we'll continue the conversation uh, for another hour, including adding an ex-Philadelphia football player now toiling away down in Carolina. Details coming up on that. Uh, Johnny Mac, I did want to get into this here um, off uh, our conversation that we had with Scott. Uh, you... Uh, brought up with him, something you brought up with other guests before. Why did the Eagles, when they say it's going to be a transition period and they say they're going to get younger and maybe a little bit more cost effective, then they bring in veteran guys to just kind of fill in the blanks and hold the fort down, plug the holes in the dam, use whatever analogy you want. Um, I, I don't <laughs> think they've really been that bad at that this year. Getting Ryan Kerrigan on a cheap one-year deal, uh, are they, is it really going to shortchange uh, Josh Wett snaps? I think they can make their decision on Josh Wett going forward. I've already made mine on uh, some of the guys on a defensive line, and I think they need to go in another direction, but that's going to be handled in the draft, I would guess, next year and the year after. Um, but I digress. Um, the reason I'm asking this question, I, I love one of your phrases, an FU player, uh, if a guy is just so good it's you to anybody else that you have in that position at that time. Go get that guy. What about that guy, Aaron Rodgers? We are now uh, another week down the road of the infighting between Rodgers and the Packers. The Packers still haven't said if they're ever going to make them available for trade. But for, uh, Aaron Rodgers is pretty much dug in his heels. I don't think he wants any part of playing with the Green Bay Packers. He <clears> wants <throat> to be dealt. 
if the Packers come to the realization that they have to deal them and get on with their lives past Aaron Rodgers, I know Philadelphia is right now, right now not a destination that a guy who's trying to add his second Super Bowl ring would be looking at. But if nobody else is out there is willing to pay the price, the Eagles do have what it takes to get an Aaron Rodgers deal done, which is immediate draft capital, immediate draft first round capital. Should Howie Roseman be making that weekly call to Green Bay just to, you know, I got three first round picks. Carson Wentz is going to play enough plays in Indianapolis. We're going to get that cold first round pick. I got ours, which might not be great this year. Uh, I got Miami's, which is to be determined. I got the Colts. Did you see how bad Carson Wentz was first last year? They got three first-round picks and, of course, future first-round picks. Should Howie Roseman, because this would go right in line with what happened to getting younger and getting more cost-effective. Acquiring Aaron Rodgers is neither of those two things. But it would make you a better football team immediately. Oh, they're going to the playoffs with Aaron Rodgers. Well, then how aggressive aggressive should Howie Roseman be in badgering (laughs) the uh, Green Bay Packers about Aaron Rodgers' availability? Well, a couple things. He is an FU player. So, yeah, I would say do it. Obviously, they don't have the cap space to do it, number one. So they would have to jump through a lot of hoops from that perspective. So the biggest part is he wouldn't want to play here. He wants to be really on the West Coast. I think he would accept Denver. Uh, but we don't know with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, so part is you got to make him the highest paid player. You got to redo his deal. So the salary cap is, is, is a huge part of it. The fact he doesn't want to be on the East Coast is a huge part of it. So I don't think it's a possibility. But, yeah, if you can add a player – I've said that about any NFL team. If you can add – uh, Aaron Rodgers, except maybe Kansas City. Um, you do it. You do it. He's that much better than everybody else. The NFL, we you know, we talk about these windows. We talk the NFL's two, three year windows at the most now, anyway. So people are talking about his age and about a decade down the line. Uh, Carson Wentz was going to be here yeah. for a decade. Doesn't work that way. Two or three years. Max window, and then you move on to the next window. So from a just a purely football perspective, yeah, I want Aaron Rodgers. I always want Aaron Rodgers. Anybody who's ever listened to me know, knows how much respect I have for the way he plays this game and how good he is. Um, yeah, but it, it just doesn't fit. And going back all the way back to your first point, I agree with you, Jody. I have no problem with the Ryan Kerrigan deal. <clears throat> And when I say changing philosophy, it has to do – they were serious about Julio Jones. Let me make that clear. They were serious about acquiring Julio Jones. So it's not only what you get accomplished, it's what you're trying to get accomplished as well. I don't think Julio Jones makes much sense for them at this point because of his age, his position, his expense – all of those things, even though he's a great player, obviously wide receiver is not as valuable as quarterback. So there's a few more curveballs thrown in. But it tells you something about the Eagles' sentiment, their mentality, how they're moving forward when they're making calls about a Julio Jones. Right. And that's more of what I mean. 
and and if Barry Roseman mm-hmm. didn't make a call just to inquire, I'd be quite disappointed in him. Anytime a superstar player becomes obviously available on the open market, you just uh, inquire to find out what exactly the cost is going to be. And I would say that they they might have been serious, but not all that serious because we saw the price you of the can't get everybody before. Like you know, I, one thing I always uh, you know criticize fans for is the assumption that your team can do whatever they want. In other words, oh, if they wanted Julio Jones, they could have gotten Julio Jones. Now, if they wanted Stephon Diggs last year, perfect example, because I heard this from so many Eagles fans. You got to go get Stephon Diggs. Well, Minnesota wasn't trading Stephon Diggs in the conference. They wanted him out of the conference. It wasn't possible. Uh you know, just because you think it can be done doesn't mean it can be done. There are other, there are 31 other teams in this league trying to get stuff accomplished as well. Sometimes you can't do what you want to do. That's just the reality of pro sports. Understood. Sixers with James Harden. Sixers, I got news for you. I heard this from two different people really close to that team. Oh, they would have pulled the trigger on James Harden. That had more to do with Houston having angst toward Daryl Morey, and they didn't want to deal with the Sixers unless they had to, and they got a deal that was acceptable from them for Brooklyn. Uh, a lot of Sixers fans at the time were like, you can't give up Ben Simmons. You can't give up Thibault. You can Oh, they would have gave them all up to get James Harden, and they would have made the right decision. They would have brought in Kyle Lowry if they could have. They couldn't get it done. And it ended up where they tried. Oh, they tried. All right. But are are you suggesting that because the Eagles played the Falcons, the first game of the season this year, that if the Eagles offered a better deal, and it wouldn't have taken much to get, again, a second. Oh, no, 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 no. Let me finish here, John. A second round pick that the Titans put up as compared to the Eagles' second round pick yeah, I know they did the fourth for the sixth move-up thing, but the Eagles could have put in, put what the Titans offered on the board, and it would have had more value because the Eagles project to be a lesser team than the Titans project uh, project to be. Uh, the, the, tenant, the, the Atlanta Falcons wouldn't want to do the deal with the Eagles because they play them week one? No. Uh, I'm, I, I'm not I, understanding I your point about the Falcons might not want to trade them to the Eagles. Why? I didn't say that. I was using Stephon Diggs as an example. Minnesota didn't want to trade Stephon Diggs in the conference. So when fans would tell me, you got to go get out Stephon Diggs, well, the Eagles weren't in the conversation. They didn't want to trade him inside the conference. Now, you could say, can you can you uh, pay a penalty to make them change their mind? Maybe. Could the Eagles have done that to Atlanta? Maybe. What I'm saying is the Eagles had serious interest in Julio Jones. That doesn't mean, oh, if you're offering a second-round pick, we're going to offer a better second-round pick. That doesn't mean we're going to offer a first-round pick. No. It means they had their limits, and obviously it went above their limits to try to get that player because, remember, they also would have had to do some salary cap calisthenics as well, just like we were talking about with Aaron Rodgers. Right. But, you know, no, Atlanta, you know, 
say it's Tampa Bay. Now, Tampa Bay doesn't need a receiver, but it's obviously somebody in the division. New Orleans, Carolina, we're going to have Colin Thompson on. They would have to pay a premium over what the Eagles would do because they're out of division. Out of conference is better than out of division and so forth and so on. You always prefer to get a player like that out of conference at least so he doesn't come back to haunt you. But sure, trades happen intra-conference all the time. You usually have to pay a bit of a premium for it. Right, but a premium to me would have been the Eagles pick in the second round is going to be better than the Titans pick. And if I'm the general manager... And maybe the they didn't want to give that up. Maybe they didn't want to give that up. Well, then how much did they really want Julio Jones? You're telling me they wanted to steal Julio Jones just because they made a phone call and inquired on it? If, if they weren't willing to do a... A second round pick. Look, and, and Jody, a you're talking about definition. Then I, you're I, I about definition. saying that Howie Roseman was really interested in getting Julio Jones. If, no, he wasn't. All right, all right. Well, I was told the Eagles had serious interest in Julio Jones. Now, because that doesn't reach your level of serious interest, that's fine. That's fine. That doesn't mean when you say when when an agent or somebody in my profession or a team source tells you somebody has serious interest, that doesn't mean they're going to do anything humanly possible to acquire a player. If that's your definition, that's fine. Well, no, no, but no, that's no. not their definition. Here's my definition. See if you can comprehend this. We know what Julio Jones was traded for, a second-round pick and a swap of a fourth in the sixth-round pick. So to be really interested – can't you don't you need to put at least that on the table my evaluation of julio jones and what he did this year injured and what he's got left in the tank i don't think the titans paid an outrageous price to get julio jones and if the eagles were again my definition seriously interested in julio jones you have to at least be able to match the offer that the titans did and they didn't so that therefore in my estimation the Eagles weren't seriously interested. They might have been uh, peripherally interested in Julio Jones. But when a deal comes down and you have that deal to evaluate and you know you could put a better deal on the table and you didn't, that takes them out of the conversation, at least from my uh, perspective, of being seriously interested in the guy. Well, how does your perspective factor in what Terry Fontenot wants? Because I don't know what Terry Fontenot wants. I don't know what the Eagles offer. I was told they had significant interest. I don't know what Terry Fontenot wants. I don't know what his end game is. I think he would assume he wanted to keep Julio Jones, but couldn't. Maybe he did want him out of conference, just like Minnesota wanted Stephon Diggs out of conference. I don't know that. But again, this is what I'm talking about with fans. You're going down the same rabbit hole. You're assuming, Jody that there is no other part to the equation. It's just the Eagles. It's not just the Eagles. Atlanta's involved as well. What did they want to accomplish from that trade? I don't know. Here, here's what I know just about sports in general. And I don't know Terry Fontenot. I've never met Terry Fontenot. I've never even interviewed Terry Fontenot. So I don't really know what Terry Fontenot was attempting to accomplish but here's what I do know about sports, having covered it for over 30 years. When a deal gets done, when you declare what you wanted to do, 
by actually making a trade, which Tennessee did. I would think 99 out of 100 general managers would prefer a deal where they got a little bit more. That your, your main objective would be if you pulled the trigger on a deal for whatever reasons, the discontent uh, nature of the player, the fact that you want to get your organization the ability to move on and start a season in a specific direction, whatever it's, however it all added up to the point where he felt, I need to move this player at this time, and he does, well, then I think you can look at any other team and the capability they have of making a better offer. Well, I would describe an offer of the Eagles' second-round pick in next year's draft and a swap of a fourth and a sixth as better than Tennessee's offer. So I would think that if I had those two offers to look at, and I'm Terry Fontenot, well, here's the Eagles offer. Here's Tennessee's offer. Which do I think is the better offer? Well, I think the Eagles will actually probably on paper look worse than second round. Well, I I should take this one. Am I going to say, no, I'm not going to take them because I play the Eagles week one? First of all, I didn't say that. I didn't say they didn't trade them to the Eagles because they're playing them in week one. I don't know where you're getting that, number one. Number two, I are you telling me there's been no – take the names out of it. You, you're, you're the son of a general manager. Yeah. Take the names out of it. You're telling me there's not a general manager in professional sports that wasn't able to get a deal done but could – but put didn't put a better in other words didn't put a better option on the table and for whatever reason the other side said now nah, I'm going to go in a different direction might be I brought up the Sixers might be because Houston had some personal animosity uh, to Daryl Morey it happens all the time oh no, well, well, I, I agree with theirs but then uh, I guess I'll make it a question for you what would be the reason if the Eagles and we can just look at it and agree that the Eagles put a superior offer on the table. I'm not saying they I didn't did. Say I'm they saying, put a superior I'm offer. I'm saying on the they table. could have. They could have. They could have put a first did. round pick on the table. Right. They could have. They could have done anything they wanted. I mean, this is parsing of significant interest. Yes, if you're going to define significant interest, is they had to put down a better second-round pick or a first-round pick to get Julio Jones, you could say they didn't have significant interest. That's my I'm, point. Yeah, but my point is it, 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 you, you're not necessarily right because they wanted the guy. They wanted to bring him in here. They had a limitation. They weren't able to get it done. Why did they have a limitation? Because of his age, because of his contract. It doesn't – Jody – Again, I will say to you, as the son of a general manager, did your dad say, I'm, I'm going this player no matter what? I mean, that's bad GMing. No, no kidding. Yeah. So you you have a limit. Doesn't mean he wasn't interested. Did he acquire everybody he wanted to acquire? No, not even close. Yeah. But, but I don't think he ever took a – uh, lesser deal just because of uh, it. Would he never look took better. a lesser deal. He never took a lesser deal for whatever reason. Could be money, could be age, could be contract, could be something he knew personally about the player. He never took a lesser deal. 
for I, any reason. And when when he shopped the player, he tried to make the best deal that he could at all times. I I fr- firmly believe that. Um, I think we're gonna, but, all, but all general the, managers try and do that. But what is the definition of best deal? Age comes into it. Contract comes into it. Situation comes right. into it. Where are we? Look. And in this hypothetical one that we've been putting up, it's a lot easier because we're looking at two separate deals uh, that are uh, basically drawn right along the same lines. We know what Tennessee gave up, and this is the point that I've been trying to make all along. In my opinion, this is just my opinion, if the Eagles weren't willing to put a better deal on the table than Tennessee's, which I don't think was an outrageous payment, then yes, I... uh, reject your use of the, the term they had serious interest in wasn't my if they use, had serious one, interest wasn't my you it wasn't my uh statement that's what someone in the league told me well then so then, I, one, then i refute that person's statement. number number two number two when it comes to julio jones i don't even think the eagles should have had interest in him in my opinion i don't think they should have even made a phone call because he's not a fit for him at this particular time. So my opinion doesn't matter. That's what a league source told me they had significant interest. The only reason I brought this up is because when I was talking to Scott and when I've talked to other people, they do this every year. That's the only reason I brought this up, because they go down the same rabbit hole of bringing in aging veteran players. But we have a young player coming up after the break, Jeff. Yes, we're going to talk to Colin Thompson, see what he thinks of Julio Jones coming to the Eagles. Probably not much. Well, he he might have because he's playing in the division against uh, Julio's Falcons. Colin Thompson from the Carolina Panthers. Tight end is going to join us next here on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. 
IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Magamac guys here with John Bird, 365. Appreciate you tuning in to us. Oh, we got a special treat. I think this might be our first actual National Football League player. Current, ready for an upcoming We had Lane Johnson on. We had Lane on. Oh, Lane, that's right, because, uh, ah, my bad. Nancy, there's no question. We should probably remember him. He's pretty good. McMullen's got a pretty good memory. Uh, No, uh, joining us on the uh, stream is our buddy, or at least John's buddy, Colin Thompson. I've been rooting for the kid for years because I'm a Temple fan and my daughter's an alum, but I've never had the uh, uh, chance to uh, talk to him and or the opportunity to interview him. Colin, thank you very much for joining our show today. Thanks. Thank you guys for having me. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, we got you, Colin. You got the Gators up in the background. Love it. Uh, Temple Owl guy for people that don't know Colin Thompson. Best tight end from Archbishop Wood. And I say that. Because Kyle Pitts isn't a tight end. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I, I've heard that a lot. And um, it's funny. So I've been against that theory. Um, I've seen <laughs> Kyle be very physical. I, I know Kyle's very physical. Wasn't asked to be physical because of his gifts in the past game. And he was extremely physical at Archbishop Wood. Uh, they didn't really ask him to put too much weight on in Florida to become, you know, what he was. It was kind of like, hey, it's not broke. Let's, you know, let's not try to fix this thing. And I've talked to a few NFL coaches that I'm, I'm close with. Some are tight end coaches, and they say, oh, he can block. We're not nervous about that. So, I, But I think it's going to be the same thing in the NFL for Kyle. He, you know, it's not broke, so let's not try to fix this thing. I'm sure there will be some decoy situations where he'll be blocking. But he's got unbelievable gifts. He's a great person. Um, he's a proud Archbishop Wood alum and uh, the highest drafted tight end ever. It's, it's yeah. pretty cool. He's amazingly gifted. You're right. Yeah. I was just joking a little bit, but yeah. Kyle, Kyle's going to be a tremendous player. And, you know, one thing, Colin, I had you on my radio show in South Jersey, and I asked you this question, and I want to give it to a, to a larger platform here because you're in Carolina. Your offensive coordinator is Joe Brady, who, by the way, interviewed to be the Eagles head coach for people who forget. 
He's, I think, 31, going to be 32 in, as the season starts. So the Eagles have gone in this direction with a very young coaching staff. So you, as a 27-, 28-year-old player, how, how do you relate to such a young guy who's almost a peer, you know, off the field just from a generational standpoint? Well, it's a great question, John. And I think more the fan would be a little hung up more on the fact that there's a younger coach or maybe a veteran player who, I don't know, maybe thinks that they know more. But the bottom line is you're working together. Good coaches are working together with players. They're not saying, well, I know more than you. They're saying, here's what I know. Here's what you know. Let's put it together and let's create something special. And I'm lucky I've been a part of from college, high school, uh, at, at Archbishop Wood to my time at Florida to my time at Temple with Ed Foley, my tight end coach, who I'm with now, who's a special assistant special teams coordinator with the Carolina Panthers. He's a South Jersey guy. And now I'm with Brian Angelico, who's one of the best tight end coaches in the NFL and has been all over the league. Actually recruited me to Rutgers and Pitt back in the day, so we go way back to like 2010. But you have good rapport. And with Joe Brady, we ha I have great rapport with Joe, great respect for Joe. And I really don't really think about how old he is. It's more of we're all moving in the same direction. You know, the old row the boat um, up there in Minnesota. We're all moving in the same direction. And it doesn't really matter your age, at least to me. Um, if you can coach, you can coach. If you can play, you can play. Everybody has the role in the staff on the team. And, and I don't really think age really makes that big of a difference. I, I like your stance uh, that if you can coach, you can coach. You can play, you can play. But there are stages in development uh, for coaches and players and everyone in the game of football. And you came through it from a Philly high school star to a college player, now to an NFL player. And you and Matt Rule were tied at the hip for a significant part of it. You changed from a college player to a pro player. So has Coach Rule gone from a very successful college player to now an NFL player. What's changed most about Coach Rule since, yeah, well, he, since you first met him and said, all right, I could play for this guy, to now trying to win an NFL job with this guy? What's changed most about Coach Rule? Coach Rule is always one thing that hasn't changed. He's always been a pros, pros type of coach. He's always been um, real with you. Everything's been out on the line. There's no real secrets, at least with me. You know where you stand. You know what's expected. That has always been the case. And I think a lot of people think that most coaches are like that. But I, I really – I've been fortunate to play for some great ones. But you don't always know the truth. And with Coach Rule, you know where you stand. With the staff that is under him, he expects them to articulate where you stand, what you need to improve on, what you're doing well, some things you need to take to work on over OTAs or repeat because you came in in great shape or whatever it may be. He's changed. I guess his demeanor has changed. You're working now with professionals. You're working now with uh, grown men. He's not checking class. He's not worried about study hall. He's not worried about guys that got to gain 15 pounds because they, you know, came in at two hundred pounds and they should have been two whatever, 15. So uh, he's changed like that, but he's still the same. Very process driven. That's his big word, you know process it's it's a way of life it's it's really doesn't matter the wins and the losses and the daily stuff or what happened to play before or what's coming ahead it's your process your daily approach how you attack the weight room how you attack meeting people in the building um how you attack hanging with fans um how you handle your social media so in a sense in college he was very hands-on with everything that the program did and i think he's still doing the same thing at pro with the pros but it's still 
Um, it's handled in a, in a different way um, where everything counts. But again, um, in college, it felt like everyone was looking over your shoulder and, and the pros is, is a little bit different. Hey, Colin, I want to talk to you a little bit about offseason work because it's been such a, a big story around the league. The union working to scale things back a little bit. Different teams, the Eagles were one who uh, erased mandatory minicamp. You, you guys just finished up. You had minicamp. How much discussion uh, did they have uh, with you guys about revamping things? And how much discussion did you have amongst yourself as the players trying to revamp the offseason? Well, it's, it's a great question, John, and, and it's something that from three different perspectives, the union, right, wanted to get the, quote, voluntary offseason back. And I don't know if they were thought it was successful or not or whatever it may have been, but from a personal perspective, I wanted to get in the building. I wanted to be there. There's something about being together and building a team. Then the next discussion is, okay, what are we doing? Are we doing, you know, a higher level? I've been in OTAs where I leave and I'm really bruised up. No pads on and it's very physical and you're on the ground. And it's one thing for a coach to say, hey, don't go to the ground, but you're on the ground a lot. Um, I thought what we did in Carolina was awesome. The coaches took care of us. The players took care of each other. Um, it was a mutual respect. We're here to really drill things down not really to compete at this crazy level like we're going to do in training camp. So we had helmets on. We had a normal OTAs. Um, our leaders wanted to get in the building and get to work and be in the building. So, you know, that's what works for us. Other places, they, they, they didn't even show up or they just did virtual or whatever that may be. I don't think that's better or worse. That's just what we're doing. And we were all on the same page, what I thought was really key. Some teams were splintered. Some places were splintered. Some guys were adamant about going. Some weren't. So, um, Again, it's a great discussion. We had talks amongst each other, of course, but I thought in Carolina we did things the right way, at least from my perspective, what I enjoyed, and um, I love being in the building. Before I ask you about Sam Darnold and this upcoming season with the Panthers, I want to take one step back. Last year, week 10, Teddy Bridgewater goes to Colin Thompson in the end zone for your first ever NFL touchdown catch, give us the play. Uh, where were you at? What, what were you the first read, second read, third read, fourth read? Well, we'll just send Thompson out and tell him to stay the hell out of the way. Uh, give yeah. us the breakdown of the play, your first ever NFL touchdown catch. Yeah, first catch ever in my in my professional football. I shouldn't say football career because I played a lot of pro football. Um, it's and the first... XFL catch. I'm going to bring that up, Tom. Yeah, we'll talk about that too. So, <laughs> my first uh, my first catch in the NFL, my first touchdown in the NFL, all in the same play, week ten against the Bucks. Um, we line up on the right side in a tight end heavy set, and we run a lot of. Um, usually when I'm in, we're running the ball. So, uh, yeah, we just sold the run play that we usually run, which is just straight downhill, no pool power, just right down. The old Le'Veon Bell run called duo. You just read A gap, B gap, C gap, or he bounces on the outside. Um, so, yeah, I just sold my block. The safety bit inside. I just swiped them away and just ran as fast as I could to the corner of the end zone. <laughs> the ball caught some wind. The ball caught some wind, so it looks like a bad ball, but it came out fine. We repped it, of course, 100 times, but we probably, you know, had great weather or whatever, and the ball caught some wind and started turning over, so I couldn't hands catch it, which I wanted to do, and go get the football. I had to kind of body catch it because it was coming in so awkwardly. So uh, Winfield came over the top, and uh, I got lucky. 
you know, the ball, I, I just made a quick catch before he got there and uh, could believe it fell to the ground and just was, Oh my God, I just scored an NFL touchdown. So a uh, pretty cool moment uh, went nuts. And, and I'll never forget, you know, the embrace from, from, uh, you know, my peers, that's what it's all about. Right. And, and, and it was, it was such something special Had nothing to do with the score. I'm happy we scored, got on the board. We were up seven, nothing against the bucks. And I was sitting on the sideline like, man, <laughs> I just scored a touchdown. Rob Gronkowski's over there, a player I've watched, looked up to for a very, very long time. He's not going to score in this game. The crazy things happened, right? They ran the same exact play in the same exact spot, and he scored a touchdown on the same exact play, but he was more wide open than I was. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was cool. It really was It really was cool. Very nice. Now, you, you just mentioned Gronk. Uh, he's sort of an old-school tight end. You mentioned when you're in the game, we usually run the ball. The old school Y-backs, what do, you, do you tight ends get together and say, what the heck, are we dinosaurs? This game well, is changing so much. I'm the only one left, John. I'm really one of the only <laughs> – I'm the only guy where, like, you know, you, you run the old Jason Witten read route and, you know, get yeah. tackled after a two-yard catch. And, uh, you know, it, it's almost frowned upon now with, with the fantasy world of, like, you got to break these tackles and hurdle these guys and the whole catch, you know, get hit and fall forward. That was a really valued spot. Um, it's not so much valued anymore, and I understand why. There's some unreal athletes that can do both, block and catch the ball and be dynamic and create explosive plays, which at the end of the day, you know, not turning the ball over and explosive plays win football games, look in Kansas City. So um, it, it's it's a different game, but there's definitely a need for, for players like myself, and I've been lucky enough to carve out a role in Carolina where I've done a little bit of everything, so fullback to H-back to Y-back to, to just a little little bit of everything. And um, – I'm lucky to be there. There's there's a few guys like me in the league that are doing it, and I hope I can stay around for a long time. Colin, give me the take on your new quarterback there in Carolina. I watched Sam Darnold plenty these last couple of years. I'm a Jet guy. What can I tell you? Um, and I know both the good and the bad of Sam Darnold and what he did during his time with the Jets. Know what kind of play he was at USC. What he's showing you in camp. What kind of ball does he throw? You mentioned the Teddy Bridgewater. Oh, the wind got it kind of ball. Well, that's because Teddy doesn't have quite that zing on it. Uh, that I a guy like Sam. I, uh, I said it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, that that play that play was supposed to be a pop up. Um, okay, it really was because it's such a play action, just a little boop, just a little toss up, like almost like a backyard, like you're almost catching a punt. Um, and we repped it like I said every day, and it was perfect. Of course, the wind was blowing. I think out of the west, like. About 15 miles an hour. The only reason why I know this is because I hang out with the specialists a lot and they start talking about the wind. And I'm like, guys, <laughs> like, just line it up and drill it, man. Let's get this thing rolling. But um, no, Sam Darnold, the first thing I, I, I got a vibe from Sam is what a true professional. And I think people forget how young Sam is, right? I'm 27. I feel, I'm the oldest tight end in our room. Sam Darnold is, I think, 24, 23. Yeah. So, I mean, and he's already played a lot of football. So, to me, brilliant to bring him in. That's not my role to make those personnel decisions. But, I mean, you're talking about a young player who's got that much experience in the NFL and has made great plays and made mistakes and all the things you need to do to be successful, right? Like Peyton Manning led the NFL. He, like, has got a crazy interception rating his first year. Like, that's, that's what it takes to be great, I believe, in the league. You're going to have to take your lumps to be great. Um, and Sam's, you know, obviously he's, he's, he's had the struggles in his previous stop. But, man, confidence – um, swagger, but really humble confidence, a true pro. He throws a great ball. I mean, he really can zip it. 
and he's strong. I think what surprised me too was, uh, you know, I haven't watched a ton of them. Um, I'm more watching defenses, but you know, in highlights, he can throw the ball. Obviously, he can make all the throws, but he can run. He's he's an athlete. He's not somebody with with slow feet. You know, they, most quarterbacks, if not all, have great feet in the pocket now. But to get out of the pocket and move, Sam's had some runs this, this, uh, these OTAs where I was like, wow, man, he can really turn it on. So I'm impressed by him. Um, we're in great hands with Sam, and I'm looking forward to getting to work with him in training camp. All right, Colin, I'm going to put you on the spot, one difficult one. So tell me to shut up if you don't want to answer this question. I love it. But it, this, but it I went in- to, this is what I went to Temple School media yes, for. I know. You're going to be great. You're going to be much better at this than maybe not Jody, but definitely me when you're done playing. And hopefully that's not for a long time. But Teddy Bridgewater, who is a guy I had a ton of respect for, have a ton of respect for, obviously has overcome a lot to become a starting quarterback. He is out. He's in Denver now. He made some weird comments about the practice habits in in Carolina, but not maybe working on situational football. Uh, Is it different uh, in Carolina from the typical uh, practice? We talked about young, innovative coaches, or or did you kind of raise your eyebrows and say, what was Teddy talking about? Well, I think right with anything and any comments that, and you guys know, listen, John and I have worked with you plenty of times now where it's always something in the middle, right? Like it's not as extreme as what he was saying, but yeah, sure. Maybe we could have worked on things a little bit more. And I think really good football coaches are their best critic. Really good football players are their best critic. And we have a lot of people in this building that, and myself included, that point the thumb, you know, at at yourself and not the finger first. So what Teddy said, I don't know if it was accurate or not. I mean, again, with my world, um, I'm worried about what I have to do. And I know that sounds like a clickbait, cli- you know, not a clickbait cliche answer, but that's just really real with how we handle business in our in our building is know your role, perfect your role, and try to expand that role every year. So, you know, I, I think Teddy's a, a heck of a player, a heck of a leader, someone I really enjoy going to work with, learning from. I mean, he was really good in Minnesota, overcame a ton to be – I think he went to the Jets, right? And then he went to New Orleans. I mean, this is a travel guy that's done very well as, you know, as a starter, as a backup, overcome a ton rehab-wise that John got to see firsthand in Minnesota. So, no, I have nothing but respect for Teddy. I wish him nothing but the best in Denver. I think he'll do great there. Um, but but like I said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so focused on what I have to do that I don't have the time to sit there and say, hey, did we do enough of something? Colin, same qualifier I'll put on my question if, you know what? I hope you can answer the question. Go if ahead, man. And or choose not to. That will be okay. Did you discuss the vaccine with Sam Darnold at all? Because he has been a guy who's been kind of outspoken about not taking it to this point, not believing he should have to take it. You do have to look at it absolutely individually. Every player does. But there is the collective of the team and the effect that if your quarterback hasn't taken it and how he will be handled going into the season if he's not uh, already vaccinated and the like, did that come up either in a group meeting or any individual conversation you had with Sam? I I didn't talk to Sam about it, to be honest. I I actually got a text from a friend saying, you know, Sam's trending on Twitter. What for? (laughs) So I looked it up and I'm like, oh, here we go again. To be honest with you guys, and this is going to be my stance on everything with the vaccines moving forward, it is 100% individual basis. You do as you choose. It is your body. I think we've lost that. Um, I'm not for, against, whatever. Again, I made the decision for my body. Um, So Sam, it makes a decision for him. 
you know, and I, I, the fact that people can sit there and say that you're wrong for making a decision for what you did to your body or you're right based off your decision for what you're doing for your body. Um, you know, I, I just, I just really disagree with it. And, um, you know, Sam, uh, really is, is a great, great person, great human being and is a true pro, uh, but to be judged off what he's going to put into his body, I think is unfair to him. From a team perspective, though, Colin, how did Matt address it? Because it could be a competitive advantage or a competitive disadvantage if somebody ends up testing positive because they're unvaccinated. Yeah, I think they laid everything out for us beautifully. Um, that's the one thing Coach Rule is, gonna, is going to do with everything that he does. You're going to know the details in the situation. You're going to know exactly what, you know, whether it's on the football field or off the field in this situation. Again, this is health. We're talking doctors here. We're, this is way above and different than football. This is a pandemic. This is different than X's and O's. So Coach Rule laid everything out, what's, what's anticipated. Um, they knew a couple of days before, obviously, of what was coming with the new protocols that you see a guy like Cole Beasley coming after and different things where, you know, a team being 85% vaccinated really opens up your building, really allows you to do more normal situations, if not completely back to normal. So, uh, yeah, he laid everything out to us. And, and of course, there's group discussion about it. Um, and it's all public, you know, which is unique because, again, this is a personal decision. Um, and again, I just encourage people to you know, give people their privacy, let them make the decisions of what they want to do and and go from there. Colin mentioned earlier how when you got that first ever catch, touchdown pass, sure enough, Gronk on the other sideline, a guy that uh, you looked up to a little bit and saw what he did. And you're a college player hoping to go to the NFL. Damn, if I could be like him, I got a chance. Another guy who was in that same mold is Zach Ertz. And we talk about Zach Ertz every day here on Birds 365 because he's still an eagle. And you were at Temple as Zach Ertz was developing as a uh, pro, pro Bowl tight end here in Philadelphia. Do you follow the other tight ends in football on a day-in, day-out basis? Do you just make sure you're on whatever website to do to get information and see how tight ends are doing? And as a Carolina guy now, do you have an opinion on whether Zach Ertz will be here in Philadelphia or not. I do. But first I'll address the watching the other tight ends. I am a junkie with watching the other tight ends between the, between OTAs ended on Thursday. And now I've probably watched six full games of the Niners and what they do offensively. And a lot of Kittle stuff. I like their other tight ends as well. I watched the 2019 Niners uh, stuff on my iPad the last like four or five plays, which is stuff we're going to be doing and to see what other guys are doing. Um, it's funny, last year I, I was the offensive coordinator for Lower Cape May Regional down here in Cape May, New Jersey, where I live. And I cut up so much tape and put it our new offense on Huddle, which is, a, is an access for all our kids to use uh, to learn the playbook, et cetera, to watch film. I didn't realize how much tape I watched. <laughs> but I purchased the NFL Game Pass, and I was watching the coaches' clips, and I was constantly, okay, we're going to put wide zone in, and we're going to put inside zone in, and we're going to put power in. So I was, we're putting mesh in, you know, the play where the, the Eagles like slapped hands and running across the middle yeah. and everybody freaked out in Philly. Like they're the only people ever doing that. So, <laughs> um, you know, like look at the camaraderie, you know, I yeah. love that. I was laughing right. so hard. That's like day one install. So, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so I watch a ton. I watch a ton of film and, and it's so funny. I played Zach Ertz on a scout team player. So I've caught a bunch of footballs, you know, when, when we played the Eagles and uh, where were we? I forget where I was. Or I played Travis Kelsey. I was in the same exact offense that is was called 
with Doug Peterson. It's going to be called with the new head coach of the Eagles. So I've been in the same exact offense in Kansas City. Personally, I think Zach Ertz is one of the best tight ends in the NFL, top five. I saw a, I think, player football focus, which I really struggle with sometimes. He wasn't even ranked in the top 15, and he didn't even make the honorable mention. I don't care if you're hurt last year or not. This man is one of the best in the league. He's become a better blocker. Receiving-wise, he's extremely dynamic. He can do so much. So to me, if you can have two tight ends like Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz, Tight ends aren't viewed like I used to stash my fantasy team when I was in and out of the league playing fantasy with tight ends. And everyone's like, you're crazy. I'm like, well, what's the, what's the difference? If you get eight catches a game, how many receivers are getting eight catches a game? Yeah. Not many. So um, the more tight ends you can have, the better. It's so much easier for your quarterback when it comes to man and zone reads. And you got you got you got a tight end just letting people know in the X's and O's that the tight end's out wide at the number one receiver spot. If there's a corner out there, it's zone coverage. If there's a linebacker or a safety out there, it's man coverage. So, okay, here we go. We're in the slot. We're going to work with Robbie Anderson or DJ Moore's in the slot here. The quarterback's got an easy read right away. You don't have to shift. You don't have to motion. It's almost 90% a hit unless they do some fake coverage and the linebacker's playing cover two. But, yeah, so, I mean, the more tight ends you can have, the better. The more talent you can have, the better. Um, but especially in that position, it's such a dynamic position. Now, look what New England did, bringing in two of the best in the league and John O and Hunter Henry. So, um, yeah, I, I think Zach Ertz is a really good player. And, uh, what, you know, anybody who loses him or gains him, anybody who gains him is going to be a better better team, that's for sure. Colin, uh, question about offseason work. Obviously, things don't stop for you guys. It's a grind. you got to stay in shape. you got to keep doing what you need to do on your off time. I'm curious because it's become – a sort of like a cottage industry. You have personal quarterback tutors, personal pass rush specialist, yeah, footwork specialist. A lot of guys work with these guys. Do the coaches ever do they give you a plan? Because I know some coaches are like, I'm teaching this guy one thing. You don't want to go to somebody else and start teaching you a different way. Is that a concern or is that a little bit overblown? I think it's a little bit overblown. I think Really now as the strength program gets back ramped up, you were doing, you know, before I went down to the OTAs, I'm doing two-hour lifts and hour runs and I'm swimming and I'm biking and <laughs> just getting myself in shape and getting my body back healed from last year, but also getting myself strong again. So it's much different. Then you go into OTAs and it's it's very little lifting unless you give yourself time to, which I really tried to do. But again, with the four, four to six hours you're in the building, you only have so much time to do all this stuff. So you have, you know, meetings for an hour, two hours, you have practice for an hour, two hours. And all of a sudden you got like somewhere in there after breaks and all, you got like 45 minutes to cram a lift in. So um, times change. So now you get yourself back into it. You know, the strength coaches play a huge role in this part right here. So they're going to build you up to your volume that you're going to have week one and week two at training camp. That's where the sports science gets into. Everyone thinks it's building rest, but really it's like, hey, get your legs ready for the first two weeks. And then from there, just grind it out and try to, and you know, you'll be fine. So you just got to get your legs ready for the volume. You got to get your body ready for the volume. And that's what I focus on now. I don't try to overcomplicate it. Yesterday, I needed to do some sort of movement and get out and move a little bit. We went paddle boarding. Like, I, I don't overthink this where I used to be crazy about it. And I was like, oh, I got to do this and do that. And that's made me somewhat successful. But also, it's like crippled me and created some anxiety. Like, hey, I didn't get out on my off day and like walk 10 miles. Like, what are you doing? Just go play football. Make sure you're in the best shape possible. So 
yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a fun off season. I'm getting married next week, so I'm, I know Sydney's still week. in. I'll say hi she's, to Sydney. She's I still will, in. John. She's still <laughs> in. So actually, I'm getting married this week. Holy crap! Oh, wow. for four days, the 25th. So yeah, it's um, I'm gonna grind it out here Monday through Thursday, and then take some time off and and, and shut it down till next week. So and then give it hell for four weeks and see where we go from there. Congratulations on the nuptials. And oh, by the way, John, here's the good news. He could probably take either your or my position here on Birds 365 tomorrow, and the show would be as good, if not better. But in talking to him here today, I see the the, the light in his eyes when he talks about X's and O's and football and coaching and the like. That's what I think this kid's going to be. Hopefully he has a nice run here, five, six, seven, eight years as a tight end in the league. But afterwards, he's got he's got coach written all over him, doesn't he? Already a coach down again. Yeah, coaching already. I don't know. We'll see what happens. I, I'm uh, keeping my options open. I, uh, you know, I love coaching. I love the radio. I have my own podcast, not for long media. For those at home that want to be into different podcasts, we have all different guests on. I absolutely love it. I want to touch on as we wrap things up. I'm sure you guys are wrapping things up here. You yeah. mentioned the Julio Jones thing. First off, the people that think that they're, they're given the one ball argument in Tennessee, I think you're absolutely crazy. The one ball argument to me is the, is the worst argument in the history of any sport whatsoever. Oh, we have five all-stars. We can't make it work. No, then that's on them. So I don't know how you, you guys said it, you know, before the break, we could discuss it. I don't know how you can, you can stop what they're doing. If they go, we're going to talk S's and O's or they're going to go cover two and have two safeties deep. So Julio and Brown don't run all over you. That man in the backfield and that offensive line and Ryan Tannehill's ability to move a little bit as well. It's going to be interesting to see what they do in Tennessee. I, I know we're wrapping it up, but I wanted to touch on that as we go go because I've heard some people spouting off on these big media networks about how it may not it's not going to work. And it, I'm like, wow. do you guys understand how good Julio Jones is? Every player in the league, every coach in the league, turns the tape on and says that's the best wide receiver they've ever seen. Um, yeah, he's one of those guys. I always talk about the guys who their peers are in all of them. Aaron Donald's in that conversation. Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers, obviously. Julio's one of those guys. Julio's, Julio's that guy at the wide receiver position. Sounds yeah, like a guy Sounds like a guy who's glad to have Julio out of his division this upcoming <laughs> season. A smart. lot of our defensive backs are, that's for sure, yeah. 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 Smart man, Colin. Appreciate yeah. you coming on board. Thanks. And, again, good luck. End of the week. Uh, please send our regards to the misses, and we're looking forward to talking to you uh, when the season gets underway. Yeah, guys, I'd love to come on during camp. And then we play the Eagles, I think, uh, week five. Yeah. Man, that's a big, big I'll circle. be there. I'll be there, Colin. All right, yeah. John. Well, right. I'm forward to that one. We'll keep right. it under wraps, and we'll sneak you on the week of the Eagles and Panthers Absolutely. game. Colin, great Absolutely. stuff. Thanks for joining us, buddy. Anytime, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks, man. NFL tight end, uh, Carolina Panther, former Owl, Colin Thompson here with us on Birds. 365. All right, quickie timeout. Come back. We'll put on the bow, uh, bow on the show. Keep it right here on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. 
Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. All right, we ran a little long with Colin Thompson, which means we're a little late here on the show. Uh, no apologies for running along with Colin Thompson. He was great. Uh, what, what an engaging young man. I hope he has a nice season with the Panthers and he sticks around in the NFL and gets that many more touchdown receptions because uh, he's the kind of kid that you absolutely positively should be rooting for. Uh, Temple roots, South Jersey roots and all. He just seems like a tremendous young man. And uh, best of luck to him getting married this upcoming week. Um, so, uh, yeah, unfortunately, we're running a little late on time here. But we got a good one planned for tomorrow as well. Connor Orr, who came on with us earlier in the Birds 365 season uh, from Sports Illustrated, was great when we had him on. And Les Bowen is going to join us tomorrow. JM, did you know that Les Bowen was on the verge of stepping away? I did not. Uh, made me sad, to tell you the truth. Way of the world, way this industry is going, unfortunately, less has been around a long time. You saw it, the inquirer number. I think Frank Fitzpatrick uh, took his buyout and somebody else. I can't remember. Ed, Maybe Ed Barkowitz. Um, uh, look, I mean, these guys have been doing it for a long time. They're great at what they do, but that makes them more expensive. And unfortunately, that's the way this industry is going. 
it's sad, but Les, we're going to give Les a thank you. I don't think Les is going anywhere. We're still going to have him on Birds 365. I was going to say, it's, it's to our benefit because yeah. we're going to get him because he's a friend of the show. He's a good friend of yours. I have yeah. a pretty good relationship with him. I hope that he continues to say yes when we ask so him to come on so Birds 365. And yeah, if you're missing out on him because you're not getting him in the Daily News, well, yeah, you'll get him right here yeah. on Birds 365. Yeah. I love Les, and uh, if he continues to come on with us, I don't care whether he's covered him day in or day out. I want to yeah. know what Les Bowen thinks about the Philadelphia Eagles. So uh, we'll start that process tomorrow and hope to continue it throughout the entire year on uh, Birds 365. I agree. And real quick on Colin, the, the, the great thing about Colin, Jody, is – Obviously, he plays right now. He's not afraid to answer questions. You talk about getting guys on the show. Guys don't want to come on the show because they don't want to answer questions. Right. And Colin's like, yeah, bring it bring it on, man. And that's part of it. If he wants to be in this profession, obviously, that's why I went to Temple. And, you know, Temple is such a great uh, communications program. And, and they keep churning them out. And that's the reason why. You got to embrace it. You can't be Ben Simmons. You can't be shrinking Violet. You got to answer those questions. And Colin doesn't shy away from anything. No kidding. All right. Uh, two last questions for you, Mr. Non Shrinking Violet. The percentage chance that when Birds 365 comes back in 22 hours, Zach Ertz is still a Philadelphia Eagle. Oh, I'm going 100%. 100? Yeah, not even 99.9? They're, they're probably nope. on vacation now. They're probably getting ready for Colin's wedding. Howie, Howie might be going. Okay. Very I good. didn't get an invite. And the uh, chance that uh, the Eagles will have a new cornerback on their roster by the time we start up Birds 360. Zero. Zero percent. Same thing. 100 on one side, zero on the other, huh? Zero. Then we're going to go through the They're going to get it done, but they're not going to get it done by the time we're back on the air. Not 22 hours from now. Uh, But I will say this, Jody. If they do... It'll be within the next 10 minutes, as soon as the show ends. Right, as soon as the show ends. Very good, yeah. McMullen. All right, yeah. one last question for you. Do you have to go back and watch Hell in a Cell today? I because... do. I didn't watch it. Yeah, I neither did I. I was watching yeah. Sixers, and after the Sixers ended, I just Yeah, I couldn't... said, why did I waste my time? Why didn't I watch Hell in a Cell? I, yeah, say, I'm, same, with you, I'm with same you, I'm with you. here, went outside, had a cigarette, couldn't take it, yeah. went shortly to bed thereafter, yeah, I got to go back and watch Hell in the South tonight. I don't know if I'm going to get to it today, but I'm going to get to it at some time this week. But, yeah, I shouldn't have wasted my time. Yeah. Yeah. Hell in the Cell. Hell at the Wells Fargo Center instead we tuned into for the 76ers. But that's yeah. for another day, which is only 22 hours from now, when we return right here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.